Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorcana podcast, a podcast where we invite you to be a part of their world. We're your host, Jared and James. Today we're talking with two TCG veterans and content creators extraordinaires. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. Last week we had a chance to visit with Tia Boyson. So if you haven't checked out that episode, make sure to go back for a listen. Today we're talking with two of the people that I most look up to in our community, not just in the content creator community, but in the greater Lorcana community as a whole. Scott and Dan from the Forbidden Mountain. Hey guys, welcome, welcome. Hey, thanks for having us on. Thank you guys. How you guys doing? This has been a long time coming. I mean, Scott and I, I think talk just about every single day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have about everything, not just Lorcana. That's what's great. This is true. <laughs> Star Wars, Wars, Marvel, all kinds of stuff. Oh, all right. Yeah. Get in, we can get into all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, for reals, I, I know you guys weren't there at the very beginning. No. Or at least I wasn't aware of you at the beginning. But no, about I've definitely followed you guys pretty much since you started. I mean, here's the funny thing, too. When I first got into Lorcana, James probably remembers this. We did an episode on building your Lorcana community. And I remember watching this video about building your local um, Transformers. Was that the game that you guys played? Yep. And I'm pretty sure it was you guys. Mm-hmm. Did you make a video like that? Because it was in Philadelphia. Uh, it might have been us. It might have been somebody else. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's okay so long well, ago, never mind. i don't know it's 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 plausible yeah <laughs> but i'm not sure yeah well uh I, i'm attributing that inspiration to you so uh there we thank go. You. go thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh starting off this year we're doing a new segment called deck tech inspects and basically we want to know uh as much as you can reveal what deck you're taking to locals, uh, what some favorable mass, ma- you know, matchups you have with it, maybe the reason why you're taking it or what it doesn't do well against. Uh, you don't have to give us like a deck list, but maybe the colors. Scott. And you can start. Go ahead. Oh, you're, you're going to a tournament this weekend. I, I might true. not be able to go. So. Uh, I'm pretty confident this weekend I'm going to be playing Amethyst Steel. Uh, in all honesty, we have Hartford coming up in a couple of weeks. And that's a 1K, a 5K, and a 1K. And, I, uh, you know, uh, Ruby Amethyst is the best deck in the game. And I, I I, don't know that I'll be able to convince myself not to play it. However, if there's any chance, it will be an Amethyst deal more than likely. So I'm going to get some reps in with it this weekend, see how it goes, see how the matchup specifically into Ruby Amethyst goes and how it plays. And um, yeah, that's what I'm feeling. Just the, you know, I, I don't think I could play a deck right now that didn't have Amethyst. So like the answer was always going to be Amethyst X. Uh, it's just, it's too good, too consistent. What about you, Scott? Um, I would probably be practicing with some of the Mufasa decks that we've been talking about in our some of our group chats. Um, Dan really hates those types of decks because he finds them extremely boring. Um, but some of our teammates that we work with have some good insights on them and i think that it has some game against ruby amethyst and some other decks i'm not sure honestly like what its matchup tables are because i really haven't played it very much or really understand what's super powerful about it but it seems kind of fun to me so i I would try to if i was going to a local i would definitely be practicing with like versions of that because i think it's like pretty fun no i uh i listened to your one of your podcasts where you're talking about three decks for beginners and that was one of the ones that dan listed off but i could tell just from the way he's describing it, that it was not his favorite. Like, basically, you just play your cards. There's there's no thinking, and that makes it good for a beginner. Well, what made it worse was uh, the fact that, like, I'm making this, like, video for beginners, and I'm like, yeah, by the way, this deck is, like, $450. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. true. That's a little bit of a drawback. Yeah. yeah I was surprised, though, since you mentioned, uh, Dan, that you're playing Amethyst Steel, I, I, and I think you may have mentioned this in, in a recent podcast, the the build that was uh used i think at the cincinnati con was like a hundred dollar deck yeah so that's one of the versions of it that's like the more aggressive that that version had 60 characters so yeah uh it's weird to say like an amethyst deck didn't have friends on the other side in it in in all honesty so 
Um, but yeah, it was it was very interesting. Definitely different. Uh, you know, shout out to those. I thought it was very innovative. Oh no, no, no! I thought um, I I thought it was cool. I mean, it was definitely on the on not on my radar to have all those bodyguards and all that kind of stuff and a lot of cards that you just don't see a lot of play with. So I thought that was really interesting. So I think the question we want to know, though, especially Dan, since you're playing this week, how does your deck, how does the Amethyst Steel deck match up against Ruby Amethyst? I think uh, I think the end game is really tough. Um, you just you don't have great answers to Ursula, so you really have to try and leverage like super weird cards and like honestly try to outvalue Ursula, which is so very difficult. And to me, I I think that like the only way to do it is to play your own because you have to match it that way. Um, but the deck can get a little clunky with uninkables, so you have to like really you know, really kind of make decision points of like, how many uninkables am I really willing to play? How many Elsas do I want? Because Elsa and Tinkerbell is such a great combination to utilize. Uh, but unfortunately, that combination does not answer Ursula all that well, uh, which is kind of part of the problem. So I'm I'm definitely going to be running Crab still. I think Crab in that particular version is very good. Leveraging Blue Fairy, leveraging Pascal uh, as ways to kind of trade up to Minnie Mouse is always good. And then obviously Blue Fairy with all the Floodborns is, is a lot of great synergy as well. So I, I'm trying to create more card advantage for myself through draw uh, to try and win that race against them. But sometimes I, I just think Ursula in that deck is really, really tough to deal with. Yeah, it makes sense. I, <laughs> I'm a, like ever since that one, I really tried making a Sapphire Steel deck work. And the fact that the Sapphire Steel deck took second place in that uh, online tournament um, has me excited. But it's just like you said, the thing that's frustrating about it is when it hits, it hits well. Yep. But when it doesn't, like when your hand bricks, it just kind of like if you don't get Fishbone Quill yeah. and you don't have somebody that can sing a whole new world on turn five, like good, good game at that point. <laughs> And, yeah, and that tournament was like a perfect example of it, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that final, the, the that finals final match. was like, here's how awesome it is, and here's how not <laughs> awesome it is. <laughs> mm. All right, so you guys talk a lot about uh, the game itself. You talk about its design, which I like. I mean, hearing you guys, and I think this comes from your background of just being in the TCG space so long, but when you talk about, oh, uh, this is how I designed this game to balance it out. Um, but what... what so you're talking about things that can make it better. While we are discussing competitive Lorcana, I want to take a moment to discuss something that game designer Steve Warner said on Twitter just yesterday. So somebody asked him about if they expected control to be so dominant. He said, I don't mind the question. We did expect control. It tends to be what a lot of experienced players like because it removes that randomness aspect. I think we can expect things to change up quite a bit with Into the Inklands and when the OP plans get announced. So uh, are we finally getting an answer to control decks? And what do you think he means by when OP plans get announced? Like, how's that going to shake things up? So so I think he made a really interesting point there um, about players and what they like to play about card games. I find this, I have this argument all the time with people that I'm friends with that they want a trading card game to be like chess and it's like that's not how it works like the reason that trading card games are successful is because of that randomness so i find it really really interesting and comical that he points that out as like high level players like to eliminate as much randomness as possible when like that's not like why are you playing tcgs if like i understand about cutting down the randomness but to to eliminate it is interesting um in terms of like do i think it's going to go away and what is into the inklands do, do i think I think that he what he means is the location mechanic just adds so much to the playing surface. It's almost like you're playing in different zones and things like that. And it's just going to be a lot more complicated to deal with multiple things at once. Like when you, right now, like you have one axis that you're fighting for, like you have your characters and and you're using your cards to basically disrupt their characters from from winning the game. I mean, there's there's very few ways outside of like goat or like spellbook to not have to just interact with your opponent's characters. But once you have locations, you're you're adding another aspect of the game that has to be dealt with. And I assume that's what he means that like you're fighting on more than one axis. And then the second part of the question in terms of like OP, I think 
once the stakes are raised in any game, people just find reasons to find answers. Like, I, I mean, I, I played in, I played in tournaments like at the end of a season, as opposed to the beginning. And it's like, all of a sudden out of nowhere, we've been playing with the same decks for three months. And then some, somebody comes up with something out of, no, out of nowhere. So like, I think that's what he means when the stakes are raised, the answers are found. So that might be where he's just saying there's probably just a lot more to explore even now the people, but there's really like no reason to because the stakes aren't there um, from an organized play perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard you guys say that on your podcast too, that right now, especially like, you know, you're going to Hartford, you're going to the one K five K whatever. But for a lot of people, that's like people like me in Las Vegas, that's not incentive enough to fly out there to go participate in it. But when when you are an OP, like you said, that does give people an incentive to get creative. Because if you know that 60 or 70% of the decks are going to be Ruby Amethyst, I could see how that would be motivating to find the answer for it. Yep. So I have a follow-up based on this because I just listened to your most recent podcast. And Dan, you specifically said in the question answering about what can the devs do to answer that control deck. You said, don't give Amethyst and Ruby any good locations or cards that interact with locations. Yeah, that aged well. That <laughs> aged really well because today we got Jim Hawkins, who has not one, but two abilities that are free and deal with locations. Yeah, yep, yep. Yes, 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 they did. In Ruby. Yeah, yeah. Inkable. Yep, yep. It's pretty good, right? I mean, we haven't, we've only seen one location, by the way, the Forbidden Mountain. Uh, but uh, <laughs> seriously, uh, that guy's really good. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see more locations to see how truly good that card is. But I think even at the very minimum, he's worth an additional five resources. In Discord today, I kind of compared it to singing. You know, it's it's basically like he's a singer for locations because you get to just play a card for free. And then on top of that, you get to move to it. So like, we don't know all the you know implications of that just yet because there's yeah. hopefully, I don't know, let's say 12 locations, maybe. I don't know. That seems like an okay, fair amount. Um, we'll have to see how good that guy is. But uh, I think on the ground floor, he's he's very, very, very good. And he's a legendary. So I'm guessing that, yeah, they probably said this one's i'm sure he's like you know they i think steve also said recently on twitter that like you know legendary is meant for uniqueness and i think that's obviously a very unique ability yeah let's hope so let's not hope it's not like a bunch of this going on in 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 all the cards that we're getting in in the set yeah honestly if locations are super important in set three i could see this card like even without seeing the rest of the set I could see this card being like the beast of next set. It's going to be uh, yeah, super Rapunzel. valuable. Yeah. 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 I, I Again, it's like if there is a good playable four cost location and it costs whatever to move to it, right? Like, cause they all cost some resources to move to it. And this guy is just like plus X off, you know, like that's, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as we, as, as we mentioned, you guys are TCG veterans. You've played a lot of games. So why, what brought you into Lorcana, and why are you staying? Um, so we heard about Lorcana around D23. We have like a couple of friends that we were talking about the game with when they first announced it, when the cards came out. And uh, Scott and I are, are, are truly a little bit skeptical sometimes with new card games because these days there's so many new card games, you know, like I, I can't even think of how many came, have come out since the pandemic, uh, so it's one of those where it's like, yeah, it looks cool. Disney's great. Um, you know, we knew Robinsberger was a was a very old company, which is also nice to see someone pick it up for that. But we were we were really hesitant until the rules dropped. Uh, you know, honestly, the rules dropped, I think, on like April 19th. And I believe on April 21st is when we created the YouTube channel. Uh, so we were, we were very, very, you know, in on hearing the rules and going from there and this specific rule set of games come from a game that scott and i actually met through which is the war of warcraft trading card game the uh the ability to choose the card that you wish to use as a resource is a, a mechanic pool from war of warcraft tcg and i'm sure there's other games don't get me wrong i know there is but that one i mean that's like a 
15 year old game at this point. You know, I think 2006, 2007, 2008, something around there is when that game came out. So that was really it. It was like, it was understanding the core mechanics uh, and how it did a lot of things similar to WoW, but it was enough of a different to still be creative. But it really did feel like that resource system was something that was very familiar to us. And that's what really drew us to the game. I'll let Scott answer why we're staying. Um, I think we're staying. I mean, we're, we've played so many games that have died that I just think that given the strength of the Disney IP, given the strength of the game itself, and given what we've seen out of the company so far in the positive directions, like, I'm not saying that every, I'm not saying there haven't been any missteps. I'm not saying everything's been super positive, but the, the signs that we're seeing moving forward, there's a lot of like under the surface signs that I'm seeing communications, uh, hirings of the company, things like that, that I think are moving the game forward. And the IP is so strong that honestly, I, I just don't see the game going away anytime soon. And that, that holds a lot of appeal because honestly, like I've played IP games, I've played non IP games and to have a strong IP game means that I think with, with strong rule set and moving forward at, at the, at the right pace, I think, it, I think it just has a lot of legs. So that's why we're, we're staying because I mean, and the other thing is like, we don't, we don't jump around games. Like we usually just go all in on one game. Like we don't, we have friends that play like five different games and I can't even fathom how they do it. Like we just play one game at a time until it like, almost too, literally almost dies, too dies. long to be till, honest with you till it literally dies right. <laughs> like we're in it for like the like you know world of warcraft we were there till the absolute last day i mean i sort of worked for the for them so like i had no choice but like for a lot of games we're there till the absolute death knell yeah so and i don't see that happening anytime soon um and i think it's going in a positive direction so that's why we stay around and what uh what made you guys land on the forbidden mountain as the name of your channel. So like, I'm, I was like, a, I'm a big Ursula fan. I'm not Ursula. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a big Maleficent fan. And I, I looked up like what the name of our castle is. And I, for some reason, like having a location, not like in the game, but like, like a location is the name of where you're going to always kind of stuck with me. So I said, I, I just Googled like, what is Maleficent's castle called? And it sounded cool as the Forbidden Mountain, and that's what we went with. I mean, like, I know it's like it has not, it, it doesn't have Lorcan in her name, doesn't have like, you know, anything to do with the game itself. It just has to do with the actual. That's not true. IP. We're in the game. Huh? I know that. We're like, in the I, game. I, I get that now. But like at the time, it was just basically like it was, I don't know, like a strong presence. I felt like because I was like, I, I was a big Kingdom Hearts fan, and I, she was really big in Kingdom Hearts. So, you know, I just wanted to have something that was a character that I connected with. Like, I wasn't going to call it like Ariel's Grotto or something like that, or like Bell's Castle or something like that. Like, I wasn't going to call it like something like that. So it's an IP that I, a part of Disney that I liked a lot. And it was just, I just Googled it and it sounded cool. So I think that's why we went with it. I think You're, what's really comical, this is like a little bit of a, a throwback here, but um, the last channel that I, that we kind of done together, it was mostly me, but Scott was on the podcast from time to time was, um, called a channel called the daily snap which was for marvel snap and when i was like uh workshopping names for that i literally had a list of like 50 names that i sent scott and our friend tata and i they like they went through it and they picked out like the top three that they like and i'm like yep it's that one the forbidden mountain was basically the complete opposite i think we decided we were going to make a content channel on like april 19th or 20th and then april 21st we had already had a name and it was probably less than five choices <laughs> that's awesome though i i'm gonna say a couple things number one until the card was revealed i assumed the forbidden you're gonna laugh at me i thought the forbidden mountain was like elsa's like where she climbed up uh, I mean, her ice castle. Yeah. yeah um and then the second thing how awesome was it like it almost feels like it was purposeful that that was the first location that they revealed um oh man i don't um i don't even know how to express the feeling of it honestly like it the timing of it was also really great yeah. uh you know we were at pax unplugged and i had conversations with rochelle with steve um all weekend so it was like a really just great you know coming off of pax unplugged seeing the success of that event and then that location like it just like 
we didn't know anything. Like they didn't say anything about like, hey, we're gonna reveal stuff starting this week. Like nothing. So like when it came out of the blue, I was like, what? I was like, that's so awesome. <laughs> it was very very cool. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the citizens of Lurkana location. <laughs> Just teasing. Okay. So moving on. On your channel, you guys actually cover a wide range of topics and you cover everything from a market watch to a meta report to deck profiles to new player guides. So my question to you is how do you do it all? Like, you know, when I think of you guys, I it's hard to pinpoint exactly where I'd put you in like this pot of what you specialize in because you do so much so how do you do it all like you're putting stuff out almost every day it seems like Uh, it's not every day it might feel that way but it's not (laughs) (laughs) uh in all honesty when we started the channel um you know we was very much a a learn by doing type scenario where we were trying to figure out like our place and and, like how we were going to do it for me, it was like the third channel that I had really started up and tried for different games now. And it really came down to what we're good at, right? Um, and then it it you just named a lot of stuff, which is nice. Uh, it really is complimentary. But we really try to focus mostly on one thing. And then it just looks like we use that one thing to kind of, you know, give information everywhere else. Um, so for us, like studying the metagame and, and being educational and learning from it and learning how to inform people of it and like really just say, hey, this is why this is happening and this is why this is what you can do about it and how you can change your you know motivations and things like that. I think that's really important for me. Um, I think this game is very it's there's a lot of new players. Uh, so there's a lot of like there's a lot of hardcore players that definitely will find every piece of information ever. But there's also a lot of people that, you know, if the meta report comes out on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, it might be the first time hearing about the information. Uh, so seeing, honestly, in, in Chapter 2, it's been way different than Chapter 1, but seeing the, you know, the the landscape of Ruby Amethyst versus everything else, uh, kind of relaying that information, like, hey, listen, when you're going to a tournament, you need to be prepared, you know, pun intended there, uh, for... <laughs> for this deck and it's 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 like it's really just giving the information so people can see it see it on a grander scale i mean there's a lot of uh here's this tournament report and here's this tournament report and here's this tournament report i think it's important to see everything i think it's important to understand like you know this event took place on the east coast this one took on the west coast this was a global event you know like seeing what the game looks like globally um you know really gives you ideas that you had you might not I've really seen if you didn't if you missed that one video and I think that's what's important is trying to really get as much information and as a you know I try to make them shorter I swear to god guys it just doesn't <laughs> always happen um I think that's what I I really like to enjoy I like to inform the community on the meta uh so they really can make the best educated decisions in their own deck building that's one of the things I appreciate when I listen to you is it's like the whether it's the tournament reports or the meta you always um, highlight the different things that like even though seven of the top eight decks in that tournament were ruby amethyst you're like this is what makes this package unique this is what makes this one work so you highlight and you bring out the different nuances and for somebody like me who like i don't play ruby amethyst but when i see somebody have a crab now i have you know an idea of, of what to expect yeah yeah and you mentioned uh the new players, there's a lot of new players that have come into TCGs because of this game. Uh, what's something as experienced players that you wish the greater community knew or understood about TCGs? So I think I think the thing I've grown the most with it over the years, understanding that there are, even, even within a single TCG, there are just different ways that you can appreciate it. Like TCGs are not made for any one individual part of the community. So Lorcana to me is probably is more unique than other games because you have an entire segment of the population that, that is playing strictly for the IP. Like they, they don't care if it's a card game, they wouldn't care if it's collectible, et cetera. Like, like, so you have that aspect of the players, you have the hardcore gamer aspect of the players, but the game isn't made for any one individual aspect, like any one group. So I think the thing that I, for for new TCG players is just to to be open to different ways of playing the game. 
So if you're not a competitive player, be open to being competitive. If you are a competitive player, be open to understanding that not everybody is like that. There's just, it's such a hodgepodge or melting pot community that we, I've found in playing Orkana, even like, even at events, people are there for different reasons. People go to league for different reasons. Just be, just be open that not everyone plays games, the reasons why you play games. And I, I really think the designers understand that. And and I think, I hope that a lot of the community uh, understands that as well. That's definitely something that uh, we all need to remember. Uh, the the community aspect of it is that we're all different people and that yeah. we all have that that different angle that we have. I mean, some of us are not even playing the game. Mm-hmm. Some of us are just collecting, you yeah. know? So, you know, and, and they, you know, those people may show up at events just for hanging out or yeah. coming to, and just to play just so they can experience something, uh, some part of it, but they don't care one bit about being competitive or playing more than just being at the thing to get whatever may happen to be to like, if there's a promo. Yep. So yeah, there's so many different ways that we can come at this game. Yeah. And it's good to play a game like that. Like, I, I don't think I've played a game like that since like, I don't know, probably. I think probably. Transformers was kind of close to that. Yeah, but just not on this scale. No, it's not. The scale is, I mean, it's Disney. Like, you just, you can't, it's just, you're never going to compare to it. Yeah, like, in the beginning of WoW, like, they, at the same time of having the trading card game, it was unique. They would have, like, these, like, leveling tournaments, like, if you were playing the MMO. So, there you would see, like, people that were just, like, just MMO fans playing also at this, like, because they were called Dark Moon Fairs, which are based like a, an event that was in the World of Warcraft like MMO as well. So you would see players that were like, I'm not playing the card game. I'm here to play the computer game. And it just happens to be like a card game event. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So like, it's been since then where I've really seen like different aspects of pe- different, like, you know, flavors of people playing the game, which is cool. I've matured a lot. I used to just be like, you know, screw the casuals hardcore only but I'm, I'm no longer like that so don't take that i'd like to pass on not to have that attitude from when i was in my 20s so yeah i think it's interesting too i think um i don't think multiplayer in this game has really like come to fruition uh but i i i personally i dislike multiplayer in like every game like i'm just not a fan of it i don't think it's always one person has fun and everyone else loses um i think disney larkana has the best rules for multiplayer of any game that i've seen so far do i think that like early on in like the small card pool there's a very clear slant to it and like deck building restrictions to it yes uh but i think that over the course of the game as we get more and more cards uh i think that's going to end up being comparable to like an edh or a commander in, in magic the gathering i think people are really going to enjoy the multiplayer aspect of the game and that's a huge thing for casuals. That's it, it, you know. I was just having this conversation with somebody on the Discord. Like we, I so my weeklies is always core constructed Lorcana, which I enjoy. Like I enjoy bringing my deck, but sometimes it'd be fun to go play something different, play multiplayer, yeah. play a like a theme for the week or whatever. Something like that would be very enjoyable, just to switch it up every once in a while. Sure. And and I think at the casual events that they talked about that we will see a lot of those types of things. I don't know how I feel about the willpower league, but, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, from from someone that was there that did not participate because we were playing yeah. still in the constructed event. Um, it, it it didn't really feel like it was anything. It was just yeah. the name of what multiplayer is. Maybe like maybe they finally decided they're going to call it willpower. It did have some like really wonky rules or whatever going on but it it wasn't it wasn't like what people were hyping it up to be you know like so it, it was very much a hey we're just playing multiplayer and like there might be some like weird rule of hey who has the most characters in play at the end of the hour or something well, like that and i'm sorry but to get 20 plus princesses on the board to win that yeah. award <laughs> you know that they're not playing that competitively like one of the person there was being confederate to the other person and helping them <laughs> To get the most princesses on <laughs> nobody the board. played ruby <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm no tcg veteran but i i want to say now that i've been in the game for i guess it's been four or five months now um i feel like a lot of us who are new to the game sometimes we just need to chill out 
<laughs> like a lot of times we get up here on our high horses and we have these hot takes and we're speaking from inexperience. And like, for me personally, I've done this. Like I can plant my flag in there and defend it all day long. But you guys have seen this road before. Like this isn't your first rodeo. So when I hear somebody with experience, like you guys chime in, like for me, that cues me that maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm saying. And I just, I don't know. I, I see that in the community. P- people are really uh, opinionated and they think their opinions are right. I, I mean, I think that's a good thing. In all honesty, I, I think the problem, um, and I'll say this until forever, uh, I, I think like text is so misleading, uh, you know, and I think that's what's really difficult. I think if you could legitimately just get in a room and actually talk it out, you'd have more civil conversations. Uh, but people just read text how they how they read it, right? Like not how you're saying it, how they read it. And I think that creates like a little bit more of a controversy than actually it even exists. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm a kid from Philly that is one of the most sarcastic people you ever met. And that does not deliver well in text either. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those where people are allowed to have opinions, right? Like I, like, like I love having conversations. I love hearing that thought process because it really, you know, I think it's a good thing that you, like you just said, like, oh, it, it makes me think differently. Well, that's, that's the whole point, right? Like the whole point of the, of that conversation is to create it and say like, well, this is why I believe this, but it's okay that you believe that, right? Like, I think, I think there just needs to be more of that in, in general. Yeah. Amen. So you guys have both. Okay. I'm tired of saying this. You've been around competitive gaming for a while. What do you personally hope to see out of organized play for Lorcana? Scott, let's start with you. Um, I hope to I hope to see them as as destination events. Um, I hope that they're my ultimate goal would be like the I don't even know what you call it, like the like regionals to nationals to worlds, like 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 a reason to play at all times. Like I used to play when I was like a professional magic player, like I would, I would go to events specifically like caring about my rating. And I'm not saying like, this is going to have rating or anything like that, but there was always a reason to play. There was always like, this was going to lead you to this. That was going to lead you to qualify for this, et cetera. So like, I always felt like, like I was always not, I was always growing as the tournaments grew. So I'm just hoping a- that they're, I, I think the smart thing for them to do is to have destination events because people want to be able to say, I played in, nationals or i played in even i played in regionals i played in states i played in the world championship i can't tell you like i I know it sounds like cliche but like there are people that are literally are like i got to play in the world championship of x and i was like okay like like i I played in the world like it it was weird like there there's been times where like i was at wow world championships and people are like man i can't believe i'm in the world championship of something i got to tell people i played in the world championship or something i'm like okay, cool. Like, you know, like I agree with you. It's, it's cool. And I, and games need that, um, in order to, in order to thrive. Like, I don't care about, I don't care about cash prizes. I don't care about any of that stuff. I I want, I'd rather have like unique prizes, like, you know, promos or specific, like E8, like extended art cards or like special enchanted type cards. I don't, that stuff like doesn't matter to me as much as just like, people want to be able to play in something that they feel there's a sense of accomplishment. And I think that's, what's most important. That's what I want to see out of organized play is just the ability to define yourself through playing it, not necessarily like make a living on it or something like that. Like some people might be looking for, I don't, I don't, that, that aspect isn't what draws me to it. It's, it's the accomplishment. I can totally add on to like everything you just said. (laughs) Sure. Uh, One of the most common things I see is, Oh, why did everybody split? Oh, why is it always a split? Why do they, why does nobody play it out? Well, there's no reason to play it out, right? Like we don't, if, if, if it's a cash prize, then you can just split cash. It's not, if, if there's not that rating or that point system, Scott and I, you know, we go forever ago back, but we met each other as rivals realistically. Like we played each other in in this one season for World of Warcraft in the Realm Seasons. I'm not kidding. It was five weeks in a row. Scott and I played in the finals against one another. And this was before we were teammates. We were just two guys in Philadelphia that played cards uh, happen at the same exact events. 
but we played every single week in the finals. We weren't splitting because we were playing for points. There was like a, a realm champion at the end of the, at the end of every season, the person with the most points got an award or something like that. Um, I, I, I totally think that that's a great way to do it. I think making every event feel meaningful is always important for a competitive player. Um, and then the last thing to, about the prize support, I think it's a slam dunk home run for them to give out like framed art cards. You know, like I, I like like pick whatever art is your favorite art in the game. We can say flounder, right? So if you could go to a tournament and win like an eight by ten frame of the art of flounder, how excited would you be for that? Right? Like I'm there. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like I think that there's a slam dunk opportunity. It's original art in the game, it's totally collectible, which means even if you're not interested in it, I guarantee you someone on eBay is. Uh so I, I think that like there's definitely so many things that I think are so easy for them to do. And it it's it's just going to be enticing enough for players to want to compete for that, you know, those type of prizes. Yeah, but that, that just, it hurts as a collector to hear about all of these exclusive and special and one-of-a-kind things that may show up at all these different regionals and tournaments. And it's just like, you have to... As with someone with the collector mindset, you just have to find a way to tell yourself that you don't have to, like, you don't need everything. No. <laughs> it is uh, so hard. I think it's really interesting. So I think uh, a game that we played for a while was Star Wars Destiny. And they had the same, like, the same system, right? Like, well, actually, their system was broken and it was terrible. But <laughs> the, the their, their general, like, RCQ season, uh, the, like, I think it was the top four. They got spot gloss characters. Now in that game, you started with characters in play. So it like you can, they weren't in your deck. So they could be these interesting different characters, but it was like this just little piece of plastic that was just different enough. That was nice enough. And there was so many of them given out because it was like a top four event. And there was, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of events all over the nation and world that, you know, maybe they cost you like $25, $30 as a collector, which is, I think it's a fine thing, right? You know, like, I don't think that's too much to ask for. I can definitely see a world where if first place gets a full art, enchanted Elsa art or something like that, I, I can't fathom what that would go for, right? But can't have everything, right? <laughs> oh, oh, I occasionally look up on eBay the top eight playmats from Gen Con. Yeah, we got two and... of them. What's we up? got two of them up there if you want to if you if you really want one. <laughs> I, I can't splash that much money right now. <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's pretty crazy what those things are getting. I mean, and and as you mentioned, like some special giant enchanted Elsa. I mean, you you then throw that out into the market, and now you have people who don't even care about Lorcana want something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're competing with all of those people too. So yeah, it's it's definitely a world where I guess I guess it's just get good and win <laughs> everything so that you don't have to worry about it, right? I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any D23 cards, but... Yeah, know, right. I, yeah, so, you know, I don't games. have any of those. Yeah. See? I mean, there's a lot of glare there, but I can see it. <laughs> yeah, that's there. It's there. Yeah, yeah. That's it. There yeah. you go. Now I can see it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, speaking of being, you know, Lorcana, where it's going with OP, where do you think the game is in five years, if it lasts 10 years? Do you think it's going to be joining the big three as the consistent always there tcg that everyone looks to as can it join those as one of the big ones so uh, everyone always talks about the big three and that's magic pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. um i think the difficulty is that it, it's to, to to break into that tier is extremely difficult like um do I think it could be number four or compete for number three with Yu-Gi-Oh? Probably. Although I still see Yu-Gi-Oh regionals getting like 2000 people. So do I think the game's going to be around? Yes. Do I think we're going to have 2000 player tournaments? I don't know. Um, but I can tell you that through the, I think it was the fourth quarter. Um, I saw a video where someone said that like it had $2 million in sales on TCG player. And some other games that are very hot right now had like five to eight hundred thousand dollars in total sales. Yeah, it was one piece that they were comparing yeah. it to. I, yeah. I I saw those. Yeah. So I didn't want. Yeah. So 
for a game that's that hot and and comparing the two where kind of is blowing it out of the water so i i really do believe the game will be around um i do think organized play will help it a lot i think it can solidly be number four without even batting an eye can it break in the top three i think that depends it cannot beat pokemon or magic like like from a card game perspective you just can't touch that i i, I think someone told me that Pokemon is technically the number one IP in the world. So like when you count everybody that like all of Japan, all of other, you know, all these other countries and things like that, like you just can't compete with the name recognition of Pokemon. And even when you have something like Disney, that's as big as it is, Pokemon still beats it. So I don't think, I don't think you can touch the first two magic just has too much. You know, obviously there's people every day are saying magic's going to die. Magic's going to do this, but, it's not, unfortunately. Magic's it's still going to be around. <laughs> so, can it compete for number three? Maybe. I just don't know what the Yu-Gi-Oh! scene's like now, but I do solidly think it can be top four, top five without really having to do much more than it's already doing, to be honest with you. I, I, I think the question is, does it need to be? In all honesty, uh, you know, like... I think I, I Robinsberger know... would like for it to be. <laughs> no, of course, but like, wouldn't I'm sure Robinsberger would sh- just be happy with successful, right? You know, um, and I I think that that's where I would go is that breaking into that is phenomenal, but no one's done it, uh, you know, and like a lot of a lot of that is just um, reliability. No matter which way you want to talk about rules, like all that crap within the games, but like those games have been reliable for. 25 plus years you know they're they're always there they're the standard in the industry um so i don't think that that can happen in all honesty in five years unless one of them decides to hang it up uh in my personal opinion but the game can be successful and not be in the top three no i don't i don't envision a future where it ever replaces the top three but i do envision a future where it like maybe there's a big four yeah and yeah Lorcana earns its space on uh, in the market shelves right alongside Magic and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Like because yeah. cause I agree. I, I don't think any of the big three are going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, if any of them are, it's Yu-Gi-Oh is the one that I hear. You know, some places it's hot, some places nobody plays it at all. But I definitely think Pokemon the and Magic. Is, the global aspect is the hardest part. I think yeah, that's yeah. the I mean, like the global aspect is so difficult to break into in a short period of time and like people are like five years that's a long period no it's not like it's it's a blip right like in all honesty like 10 years maybe we can have the conversation within five i think it's really difficult okay so we're putting it in the calendar five years from now to have you guys (laughs) back on to uh revisit this discussion perfect whether or not the game exists you got it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think for sure that what we're looking at is never the goal is never going to be replacing one of those top games because like you said, it just can't be done being in the conversation. They're they're just permeating the entire TCG space and and the world, especially like you said, Pokemon being known everywhere. They have TV shows, they have cartoons, they have games, they have all this stuff. It's like everywhere. So you can't do that. So what you, like you said, what you can do is you can join them in some manner on that level. And I think that's something that, uh, is definitely possible because of the combination of the Disney IP and just running it in a manner that provides a way to get that success. Have to prove you're reliable. Yeah. You have to prove the reliable. Yeah. So as said, every three months, getting an OP program running and having it run consistently and well, and doing that for as you mentioned, a five years is a blip, but doing it for five years, yeah, will it's show nice. everyone that they're. They're, they're really trying like, and they're succeed, succeeding. I, I yeah. uh, in all honesty, like five years is a long time for a lot of games. Like, oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, like the games don't last that long. So if they're able to, su- to successfully hit the five year mark, which for what it's worth, I am 100% betting on that they do. Um, I think that that's step one. I think, honestly, I think that's goal one. You know, you, you really start with the end in mind. I'm sure the end is 20 years, but five years is definitely on that that cusp of probably like first landmark to truly hit that's set 20 <laughs> oh yeah, man yeah Bring it. Oh, okay so we like to ask the amethyst don't run. 
<laughs> yeah, that's what I said today. If Ruby Amethyst is still dominant <laughs> five years from now, I might reevaluate where I'm at with the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one question we like to ask content creators is what piece of advice would you give to aspiring content creators? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that look up to you, look up to us, look up to our guests that we have on here that create content. So what piece of advice would you like to give? Dan, you're, I'll let you take this one. I know you have All a lot right. to say. I'll be honest. I can have an entire podcast on this. But um, I thought last week uh, Thea was phenomenal. And I'm, I just want to like quickly add on to that. If anyone didn't listen to last week, you should go listen. But she said, just start. You know, like you don't need everything. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I always tell people, start before you're ready. And then learn by doing. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know this, Scott you know, eight months ago had never put himself in front of a computer and hit record ever. So, you know, you look at that first video he did to the last video he did, and you can see general confidence grow over just doing. And I think that's the most important. The other thing is for content creators that are out there, I think a lot of people try to just do everything. And it's it's not easy to do everything. Honestly, if you're trying to appeal to everyone, you more than likely end up appealing to no one. Uh, and I think you really need to focus in on what you're doing. And then the very the last final piece of tea, but honestly, if anyone is really, and I do mean this, like if you're really interested in becoming a content creator and you don't really know where to start and you know where to find me, you can DM me. I, I, I am the definition of person that likes to help people into this because I can see everything that you can gain from it and like really change uh, certain things of your life in all, in all honesty, but success leaves clues. Uh, that's the best thing I can tell people. And what I mean by that is, you know, look at the videos that you've made. If you've made 10, 20 videos, which one did the best, figure out why that one did the best, make a part two, you know, like if this is the best video on my channel, there had to be a reason why this was the best video on my channel. Find a reason to make another video like that. And, uh, you know, for us, you know, as a part of our story, Scott made the first meta report in July. Hey guys, guess what? There was no uh, there was no cards out in July, but Scott made the first meta report in July based off online data from from where we were able to the play genie the genie meta, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Ursula's necklace, right? <laughs> like what that card never even existed in realistically in chapter one. But the point is that video was our one of our first videos that got to a thousand views. Success leaves clues. It's a video we do every single week. It's our, it's our, for the last six weeks, it's our best video. That's why we do it because it, the, your audience is telling you, hey, I want this video. Uh, so that's, that's the tidbit it's I, I want to give to people. All right. So uh, listening to your podcast again, you have a segment, uh, a new segment that you call Would You Rather? Uh, do I want to copy? So we're going to copy your game. We're going to do a few rounds. Sure. Okay. So this one, I I think you'll know who wrote the the would you rather's here based on the first one, which is would you rather flounder or wardrobe? <laughs> um, I've used wardrobe in decks. I've never used flounder. <laughs> so, <laughs> Get off the show. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> you you've been voted off the island. <laughs> The first card I played in a Disney Lorcana sanctioned tournament was Flounder. I there we go. <laughs> you know, this leads I'm me to something that is here. A flounder from Dan. This is this is something I have to mention since since Jared's all in on Flounder. I would just like to mention that when everyone is doing their deck list and building for like tournaments and stuff, and they're doing a Ruby Amethyst, of course, they're building that, and they put in their one drops. Why does everyone put in four minis? And two Olafs instead of four Olafs and two because minis. Nobody likes warm hugs. What is up with that? I put in four Olafs, okay? Thank you. I put Thank in four minis. <laughs> oh, whatever. It's because we only had so many foils that we had to split yeah, between real the two truth. of us. Yeah, That's it, a true story. <laughs> yeah, we, we the reason why we did different numbers was because of the foils that we had in our collection. <laughs> no, I'm talking everyone, everywhere. No, I know. They don't four like minis. warm hugs. They don't like warm hugs. It's that I don't get it. I, I, I protest. All right. I'm with you. The next one, would you rather Cusco or Pete? Pete. Yeah, Pete. I'm not a Cusco fan. Pete is oh, Sorry, White Breezy. No, yeah, <laughs> seriously, sorry. But seriously, Pete's inkable. 
Uh, I don't even care about like the the two lore versus three lore. It's the fact that he's inkable, which just makes him so very close to the line. And ironically, the, the stats do matter sometimes. The fact that Pete uh, Cusco can't trade up, like you can't challenge anything with Cusco and get rid of it. Like, and if you're doing that, you're 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 even further behind than you want to be. Pete at least enables the idea that you can trade and come back from uh, being behind. I think Emerald's biggest deal is like being on the draw is so difficult for Emerald. They have no cards that interact very well when they're behind in the game. And at least Pete represents an, a, an, an honest choice. All right. Yeah, Fox has taken Cusco completely out of the game, in my opinion. He's now back to his Cheshire Cat status, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, last final one. Would you rather Alice or Belle? Which Belle? <laughs> now, this is oh, strange Belle? but which special. Belle? Sorry. You might want to rephrase this one. I don't. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I guess I'd rather Bell. But um, I, I think Bell leads to more favorable gameplay. The way that I assume we're talking about the the uh, the Emerald Strange one. But special. I mean the uh, Sapphire one. The yeah. Sapphire one. Um, yes, yeah, right. Uh, I I just think she has more interesting play because you can play her early and get value out of her, and play her late as a win condition. Um, and Alice, I think is a really difficult code to crack and she's just not there yet. Um, but bell is like, when, when you, when, when bell hits the table in a deck that knows how to use her well, like she's game winning. And, and I think that's really cool. So, because I think when the game, when she was, she, she, I think she was probably like one of the last 10 cards she revealed was. out of the, out of the first set. She and was like, like the last card revealed before the dump. Oh, okay. Okay. So like, everyone was like all about her like oh this is gonna be the best card ever and like then it just kind of fizzled out like she didn't see a ton of play in, in the, well, in the first chapter yeah and and like but when you can find a deck that uses her well i think it's it's just so cool that like you have this like four drop princess that's like questing for one fourth of like your win condition in, in one turn like i just think that's cool so I, i'm a big i'm a big fan of bell if i can put my game designer hat on for a moment here uh you can't have halves in games right like you can't be three and a half you can't be five and a half you have to be five or six and the 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 10 on alice is the problem if it was nine i think she would be like literally light years better than she is 10 is the most problematic part of that card everything about her is really cool it's really interesting but 10 is just it's not an it's not an ideal number to to hit realistically yeah, nine. She could be uh, fueled by the queen all by herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. oh. that would be great. Yep, yep. All right. Well, uh, let's go into some uh, ending segments here. Let's. We got a little bit of news now that the holidays are over. Uh, they dropped some information on products, and one of the things that they dropped was the Trove now has some different contents and some upgrades. Uh, and this is actually something that we mentioned on our wish list. Uh, Jared added an addendum to mine where I wanted troves everywhere. He's like, yeah, but put better stuff in them. And he got it because they now are going to have six ink-themed card dividers, six high-quality dice uh, with magical ink appearance with gold-printed numbers, and a distinctive spin dial lore counter, which sounds to me like basically the one that they give away in the OP kit now is now going to become just handed out all, all the time in troves. So that's that's really nice. No more cardboard deck boxes and no more punch out uh, damage counters. Yeah, I know you guys aren't like like gamers, like you're not trading card gamers. But I remember like growing up the fat packs uh, in Magic the Gathering. Like they had, you know, like six or seven packs. They had some of them actually originally had books, which I thought was really cool. But they always had this spin down die with the logo of the set on the die. And that was like one of the more collectible things. So I think this is definitely leaning towards that whatever the logo is on the die if it's like a quote set logo or something like that that's really cool i think it, i think it's a great step in the right direction because right now the trove is like a pile of trash so anything that made it worth it is great did, did they mention if the price is staying the same i didn't catch that it's, i think it's still the same i don't think anyone's been selling them or pre-selling them at different prices okay i'm sorry but those cardboard deck boxes went yeah. straight to the trash yeah I hope yeah. all of them did because then all of the ones I saved will be worth more in 10 years. <laughs> all right, all right. Tell yourself that. <laughs> it's 
spoiler alert, it'll still be trash. <laughs> uh, it'll be dollars worth of trash. Dollars. Yeah, that's fair. One or two. <laughs> All right, so we got a bunch of new cards, and we're going to go through them real quick because I think there's only like two that are really worth talking about. And the first one is Emerald Ursula, two cost, one three with one lore, and the ability... When you play this character, chosen opponent reveals their hand and discards a song card of your choice. This is a good card. Yes. I'm a big fan of this card. Um, Emerald Steel has a lot of problems with songs, and this solves a lot of those problems. I don't think you're going to see this card hit the board a lot on turn two, but Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see it hit the board a lot on the the turn before it's like most important to player. Oh, yeah. Um, Turn six for being prepared. Turn four, also turn four, like yeah. with a shift and that in the same turn, or like a Bucky and her in the same turn, um, is going to be really powerful. And um, she's a villain, which has some good synergies. I mean, she could be like the the step one of a Floodborne Ursula if that exists. So the art is awesome, the flavor is awesome that she takes away a song. Like it's kind of like the way she took away Ariel's voice. So I think that's really awesome. It's uncommon, which is like it, we. We love finding high price on commons. So it's great when you're opening a ton of product to be able to, to, to get a card like this that has that's going to have this much flavor and this much playability to it. So um, I'm pretty excited for this card. Um, I think it leads, to, it leads really well with Lucifer as well because uh, a lot of times when you're playing Lucifer, you discard, you discard a song instead of discarding two cards. So if you play her the turn before you play Lucifer and take that song away from them, he's probably going to be able to hit two cards. So um, even if they don't have a song, then you know it's you're clear for Lucifer to take two other cards unless they drew one on that turn in between. So um, I think she's going to have a real home. The fact that she's inkable, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, small add on there just for like the game <laughs> aspect of it. Um, the cat says hello. No, seriously, <laughs> uh Ursula is, I, I'm pretty confident the first card reveal that specifically targets something to discard that you get to choose. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of still play combinations with cards like um, Hypnotize and Sudden Chill. You want to make sure you play Ursula before you play those cards because you want to hit the card that you want and you don't want to, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to play Sudden Chill and then they discard their song and then you play Ursula and then they don't have a song. So you want to make sure you yeah. get, you know, you leverage your your plays, uh, you know, as correctly as possible. It's also only the second card, as far as I can tell, uh, remember, that lets you see your opponent's hand. Yeah. And nothing to hide, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All Agreed. right. So there were some other cards. Uh, Stitch Little Rocket and Ruby and uh, Heal What Has Been Hurt in Amber. Uh, distract in Sapphire, which is, I think, only our second Brave Little Taylor card now. Yeah, I think With so. The giant. Uh, and so then we have in Amethyst, the Sorcerer's Hat, uh, inkable, two cost with an item with the ability uh, exert and pay one ink to name a card, then reveal the top card of your deck. If it's the name card, put that card in your hand. Otherwise, put it at the top of the deck. Uh, so this one's an okay card, It right? It's not great, but it's not... It's not awful. It's just kind of expensive to get a card. It might be really good in five years. <laughs> when there's like right, right. literal 60 Mickey Mouses. That's what that's what uh, Steve said in the dev diary on, on the official Discord, right? He's like, I just thought it would be fun that eventually someone would be able yeah, to play. Yeah, I mean, tribal decks, tribal decks are really, you know, they're, they're, they're sought after options, you know, the longer you get in the game. So, I, you know, eventually but, this card's good. But what about like in conjunction with the cauldron or Squirrelin? I I call him Merlin Squirrel. I call him Squirrelin. I am never I'm never in favor of playing bad cards to make a bad card kind of good. Does that make <laughs> sense? Like you're playing a bunch of cards to let you see something, but like all of these cards aren't good. You know? So like if you're playing bad cards to make your card kind of okay, don't do that. Like just play good cards. I think the one aspect that people are, are, I have never, I haven't seen anyone mention is two hats. If you have two sorcerer's hats together, you're definitely going to hit the card because if you miss, the card goes right back on top. 
So if you have two of them in play, you're drawing a card for two every single turn at, at, I mean, I, I say at most, but like the chances of hitting it, the first one is like nil. So like, like at most you're only paying two. Now, yeah. Did it take you two cards to get there? Yeah. But like, you're probably playing four of this card in your deck anyway, if you're playing it. So once you have two of them in play, you're guaranteed to get, to draw a card every single turn for two, for two ink. So it's basically like a magic mirror. It's a better, it would technically be a better magic mirror. Yeah. Because magic mirror costs four. So I mean, this is inkable. Yeah. It's yeah. True. So why, so then that that leads to why would you even bother with Ursula's cauldron if right. you could put two Isn't of that, these because they're both thinkable, right? Definitely right. the point. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. And then the one we already talked about in Ruby, Jim Hawkins, Space Traveler, five cost inkable, four, four, two lore. And his abilities are this is it. When you play this character, you may play a location with four or less for free and take the helm. Whenever you play a location, this character may move there for free. Crazy. So good. And our first legendary from uh, from Into the Inklands. Yeah. And he might very well be better than every legendary in Rise of the Floodborne <laughs> without ever seeing another location. It's possible. I, that's how good this card probably is. I mean, so le- locations, I mean, it feels like they are, like you said, it's going to change the landscape of the game, but it just feels like they are going to really change the game i mean we're it's not just lip service of this changes everything i mean it's really feels like it's going to change the game so i i think i have an interesting opinion of this i think whenever you introduce a new mechanic into the game um you know you really there's there's two ways to do it and for what it's worth i think disney lurkana is almost always uh pressuring to change because singing is just unbelievable um you know shift is unbelievable like most of these cards Honestly, all the singers except for Sebastian are playable, and Sebastian may have his time in the sun someday uh, just because of the mechanic itself. But this type of mechanic, obviously, A, it's game-changing. It's game-altering. It's adding an additional thing that you can do in a given turn. Um, So the hope is, is that it is pushed. It's pushed to be powerful because if they restrain, right, like if they restrain themselves, and they do that that number thing where it's like if a location should be two, but it costs three because they it equated to like two and a half, that's bad. Like I don't think we want to be in that world because if we're in that world where locations are overcosted and you're not getting enough for doing them, then we're probably gonna end up exactly where we are right now. Uh so I, I hope for one they really did push them because it it will very much change the game if they push them in the right direction. Yeah, what I'm most curious about jim is whether and I, I hope he doesn't become like the standard of i don't want to pay to move to a location i don't want to pay to play a location like i just hope he's extra value and everyone just isn't like i'm only going to play locations if i can get them into play for free and i if i can move to them for free i hope there's payoffs where he just shines and saves you four to five ink when you play him because honestly like as a what well, he's a four four two lore for five like it it's it's a pretty vanilla card unless you're getting this value. And I hope that that like, he's just not like, I'm like the standard value. I hope you, he really shines as like, you're really saving a lot by playing this card and having an extra card in your hand that you can play out and move and do all this stuff all in one turn and save yourself all this tempo by doing it all at once. I really hope he shines and it doesn't just become the standard for how you play locations, which I don't think he will be, but you know, having seen so little, it's just, it's just, hard to wrap your head around it but i hope he's he he shines as much as i think he will i have to believe that there's going to be an item card of his like solar thing that he rides that pair whatever that like reduces your cost to tr- move a car to a location i could totally yeah. see that being a thing yeah yeah all right well shall we uh move into disney jeopardy <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Dan's gonna Dan's gonna crush on this one. No, I'm not. So you guys can Depends have a, a mind meld here. All right. So you guys know how Jeopardy works, yeah? Yep. Okay. So for 100, this is the name of the character that wants to marry Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Gaston. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Okay. <laughs> we're we're throwing you a couple of easy balls here. Good. Uh these are the three characters used in Disney's animated recreation of the Three Musketeers. Uh, Goofy, Donald, and Mickey? 
There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Shouldn't get any points. He's not saying who is. I know. <laughs> I know. We uh we gave up that standard a long time ago. But uh, you know, preferably you would answer in the form of a question. I watch Jeopardy every night too. It's pretty bad about me. Shame on you. Yes. <laughs> okay, for 300, this is Wendy's last name in Peter Pan. Oh. Uh hmm. I should know this and I don't. It's my sister's favorite movie. She'd be so upset with me. It's a card too. And I should yeah, know. It's just one that. of the new cards revealed. I know. It's You're not like, like it's, Google. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not like it's, it, it, I want to say it's not like Smith or something easy. I just don't remember. I don't remember what it, I just don't remember. The correct answer is what is darling? Oh, darling. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you're two for three so far for 400. This is Sleeping Beauty's name. Aurora? What is Aurora? There you go. (laughs) We would also accept who is Briar Rose. Oh, there you go. All right, for 500. This 1994 movie is the first live-action remake of a Disney animated film. Wow, James, this is a tough one. I I gave him an extended answer. Or a question, answer, whatever you want to call is it, it. Is it who is, is it? What is Peter Pan? Well, I, I was, so was going to wait this... for them to deliberate and then I'd give them the clue. <laughs> All right. So, Hook, is it what, what is uh, Hook? Yeah. Hook oh, was made by uh, Universal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good movie, though. Okay. So, Be this movie actions. is from this original movie is from 1967 and it's based on a book from 1894. Oh, is it the Alice in Wonderland? What is Alice in Wonderland? Not those movies. Do they count? The Johnny Depp ones? Oh, that's no. a good one. That's not 1994, though. I thought that, well, I thought... No, that they're like 2000s. James, okay. I didn't realize this. there was a live-action remake of this movie right? in 94. This movie is like nobody knows it exists. I mean, this is 30 years ago, and I was five. So, like, <laughs> that's just, like, tough. Because I also think it was one of their most recent live-action remakes, they did too. A, they did a remake. Of a remake? Of a remake of an animated film about what, six years ago was it aladdin what is no. the jungle book oh um, i didn't know oh that's right there was one back then i don't remember yeah. that's I mean, right. like i probably do but i don't and it was like and it was like really bad like cgi right or was that I not have, the cgi one i have no recollection of this yeah None whatsoever i was working in a movie theater back then so i remember it a little bit so and lion king was still in the theater when i first started there so i remember this back then. oh my gosh yeah, it would have been around around ish that time yeah. yeah yeah all right guys well thank you again so much for coming on this has been a long time in the works so again uh thank you and if people want to find you online where can they find you Generally speaking, at TFM Lorcana, pretty much everywhere, and of course uh, at the Forbidden Mountain on YouTube. I did. And I did the whole roundup, Jared. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, we have it all. Yeah. And if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can follow us on the podcasting platform of your choice. You can find me on Twitter at Citizens of Lorcana. And James, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me everywhere at Dan Regal, and you can check out geekshotphoto.com for links for social media and photography stuff for my wife and I. And thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you guys so much for, for having us. us. It was a pleasure. Yeah.